Today, our reading is from the very, very beginning of Mark's gospel, starting with the first verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, just as a reminder, this is Mark's gospel, uh, a bit of an insight into Mark, just as, as a refresher from last week. Mark was uh, preparing the gospel primarily for Christians who were in Rome. So so Gentiles who who converted to Christianity in Rome and Italy around 60 to 70 AD. And just a bit of a a quick history reminder, uh, at that time, Rome was being ruled by this man named Nero, who when he first started in in this relationship, he had really no relationship with the Christians at all. But about 64 AD, there was this massive fire that ravaged the city of Rome, destroying like 10 out of 14 different wards in the city, just massive destruction. And rumor had gotten out among the people that it was Nero who started the fire. And so Nero himself, being under the fire, he wanted a scapegoat and the Christians were easy and he pointed to them and spread the rumor that it was the Christians who started the fire. And And that then was the birth of massive persecution in the church. And so the audience that Paul is writing, excuse me, that that Mark is writing this gospel to are a bunch of Christians who are under persecution. And Mark's overarching theme is you have a God and a Savior who is compassionate about your suffering and who knows what it feels like to suffer. You have a God who gets you. So this is Mark's overall theme, and he starts off in this conversation writing to Christians in this situation, knowing that they were people who kind of felt like they were out in the wilderness themselves. So the first thing that I want to just share with you today, this first thought and concept I want you to walk away with is be people of the wilderness. Be people of of the wilderness. So as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now the wilderness in scripture is filled with so much symbolism. It was a place of Israel wandering for 40 years, day in and day out, following this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night waiting, yearning to get into the promised land. And it was a time of preparation. 
The wilderness was also, if we fast forward into the New Testament, the wilderness was also the place where Jesus left to fast for 40 days and 40 nights in his preparation for the ministry that would take place just after that. See, one spends time in the wilderness as they're getting ready for something. We have lots of times of wilderness in our lives. You know, all of us, when we are born sinful, separate from God, it's baptism that God says, okay, I'm going to wrap you up in the waters of baptism in, in my name, carry you to a promised land of life with me, a relationship with me, a right relationship with me. But we have also other types of wilderness seasons in our lives. And those times when life is just difficult and struggle just to, to get to the next day. Those can be seasons of wilderness that God is in the middle of, not absent from, but in the middle of equipping you and shaping you with everything that you need to survive, to endure. And in that process, He's shaping you and molding you into the, into the image of Christ so that you can continue not just in this life, but that you can persevere into the next to be the men and women that He's designed you to be. These seasons of wilderness. You know, all of us right now are in a time of, of living in the wilderness, in this life, in this world, in the world that's not yet put right. It's fallen and broken. It's not the way that God designed it to be because it's littered with things like sin, greed, and lust, and envy, and anger, and stress of our own doing, the mistakes that we make, of the mistakes of other people that collide with our lives and bring trash into our lives, and just the overall brokenness of creation. Death is not supposed to be here, and yet it is. Sickness and death, they take our loved ones. Death was never a part of the plan. And so we live in this wilderness where, where sin and, and death seem like they are winning. But we know otherwise, right? We know that we have a, we have a Savior who has overcome the world, who's overcome sin, death, the power of the enemy, everything. And we know that there is one day that just like Israel wandered through for 40 years in the wilderness of life, they passed through the Jordan River into the promised land. There will be a day where we, wandering around in this wilderness of brokenness, will cross over into everlasting life, the kingdom of God, Jesus returning to make every wrong right. And that gives us hope, right, that we can live today knowing that this is not as good as it gets, that there will be a day when our Savior returns to put the world right, when He will reign in our lives in the way that, that everything was supposed to look like, the way that it did look like in the very, very beginning. 
And so as Christians, we don't have to walk around like ostriches with our head in the sand, ignoring all the problems of this world. We don't have to, to, to live such lives that, that uh, are completely carefree and problem-free and chaos-free. We can be real about the brokenness and the hurt that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, but we can do that with hope. We don't do it as, as the world does, and the world can be overcome by grief and overcome by sorrow and, and fall into this place of dark despair because it doesn't get any better, but we know that it does. So we keep our heads up high, walking through, being real about the brokenness of this world, but looking forward to, longing for, waiting expectantly for the better that is coming on the other side of the wilderness. Now, so be people of the wilderness. Second thing I want you to walk away with today is that you are to prepare the way for the Lord to enter into others' lives. Right, so we've got John the Baptist and he's he's appearing in the wilderness and he's preaching and he's teaching in the wilderness. And this was his message. His message was, I need to prepare the way for the one who is coming after me. Prepare the way for the Lord to enter into other people's lives. His mission is no different from yours. His mission is no different than yours. You, as a follower of Jesus, have been given this gift of the Great Commission. The mission that God has made you for is to make disciples, to multiply this faith person to person to person throughout your homes, throughout your neighborhoods, throughout your places of work, throughout your schools. This is your job as a follower of Jesus. You know, the church is not something that you just belong to and then get all the benefits of, right? You don't subscribe to membership here and then just get all the gifts. You become a follower of Jesus, and then He does give you amazing gifts of His grace, of forgiveness, of life, of of the fruit of the Spirit, and He pours that out so that you can take on the mission that He gives to you. You see, there's an expectation that God has that says, I want you to fall in love with me and follow me and live a life that I have designed you for so that others can know too. That's our job, just to prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord to enter into other people's lives. Prepare the way, make His paths straight. Right, this, is a, this is kind of a, a road picture that we have, and, and, and sometimes when, when you go up, up drive up north, you, you, you see there's, that's, the road is filled with potholes and, and cracks and, and dips, and, and those are all kinds of holes that need to be filled in, and sometimes you get raised places in the road, and those got to be kind of shaved flat, so the high places get made low, the low places get made high, everything gets made even so that the pathway is ready and travelable. That's not so much of a problem that we have here. My dad was visiting with us this past week, and he was marveling at the fact that there was construction in every single road that he drove. Right? But, and dad's like, what, these roads look perfectly fine. Like, why are they tearing these roads? They're too small, dad. We need bigger roads. 
We need bigger roads for more people. (laughs) They keep flocking into this place. I think that's an interesting picture. That we should be intentional about doing the same thing. That we are in the construction business of preparing the way. Right? Let's not just be content with the way things have always been. Doing things the way they've always been done. Let's open that road up. Make the low places high and the high places low so that people can come and see Jesus. That's the point. Let's throw off the things that we hold dear and cherish so that others have room to come and grow and be a part of who we are, to get to know God the way that we know Him. That the mission becomes the most important thing. Your place is secure. Theirs is not. Those who are not here today need to be. How do we make that happen? We prepare the way. Prepare the way. This is really interesting uh, to me, the diet that, that John the Baptist has. I'm a bit of a foodie, and so I love, I love food. I like unique flavors. I, I like savory. I'm not such a sweet person, although that's changing with time, but I love savory. I love fat. <laughs> it's delicious. Apologize for those I'm making hungry in the moment because I'm thinking about food. But John has this really odd diet. Locusts and wild honey. Like, like wild honey, I can totally get behind. I'm like, man, that is so good. Honey is so good for you. It's like nature's sugar. It's sweet. It's delicious. Uh, for those of you who have allergies like me, if you eat honey that's in the area that you live and, and work, then that helps knock out those allergens. And I don't know how it does, but it does. Maybe it's a placebo. I don't care. I still like honey. But locusts, now that's disgusting. Now, locusts, it was really interesting. In our, in our studies this week, we discovered that locusts were actually considered a clean food for the Israelites. Turns out it's kosher. <laughs> I'll pass. But as I was thinking about locusts, I couldn't help but remember the plagues. Right? Remember, God sends this this plague through Moses to convince Pharaoh that, that God's plan and design is for Pharaoh to let his people go so that they can get out into the wilderness and prepare for entering into the promised land that he has for them. And this is, this is what it says in, in Exodus chapter 10. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. That is a lot of locusts, you guys. No one can see the land. It's a carpet of locusts. They shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall, this is gross, they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen. That's a lot of locusts. It just reminds me of the judgment of God. It's interesting to me that 
John the Baptist is not just living his mission, he's eating it. Right? The locust, the judgment, the warning, repent. God is coming. And then the honey, that sweet, sweet message of the gospel that comes right after the repentance of God's judgment coming, repenting, turning back to God, and then receiving that incredible, sweet message of God's salvation put together. You have John so committed, so committed to his mission that he literally eats it. So all in is John the Baptist on that mission. And John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This preparation, preparing the way for the Lord to enter into people's lives, it starts with repentance and baptizing. This repentance is this huge piece of preparation, of getting yourself ready, that repentance becomes a part of your particular lifestyle. Now, repentance can happen in multiple ways. If you are living a life of complete debauchery, then obviously repentance is something that you need to let go of. God, I am, I am sinning against heaven, against you, against my wife, against my family, against my friends. I am so, so sorry for where I have gone horribly wrong. So that's one kind of repentance. Another kind of repentance of coming to God, of confessing to Him, is maybe when life is going pretty good and your life isn't marked with all kinds of debauchery, but man, you feel really good about being really good. And pride kind of starts to swell. Or maybe if pride isn't your bag, then maybe distractions are. Maybe, maybe the enemy puts so many good things into your life that, that distract you from the great thing of God. Because he knows that if he can put even something good in place of something great like Jesus, then it's idolatry. And so repentance is... Re Returning back to God is, is focusing back on God. You can almost think in this way of thinking that repentance is like looking at a compass and finding your true north and reorienting yourself to face north. Sometimes repentance is, God, I am sorry for those horrible, ugly things that I've done. Sometimes repentance is just simply coming back in line with the direction God has for you to live to turn and face Him, your true north, for his, for his wisdom, His guidance, His strength, His love, His mercy, His life, and you face Him. This is preparing, getting ready, letting our lives be focused on Him, living our lives for Him, walking together with Him. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. I want to come to that in just a second, confessing their sins. The river Jordan. Another huge, great um, metaphor that God uses throughout Scripture for a transition, right? The Jordan River is this time of transition, 
early in Genesis, as you've got Abraham wandering around, uh, getting called from his home with all of his family out into a mission that God has for him, God shows him this land in the Jordan Valley. This land is rich. It's fertile. It's abundant. And God says, this is where your family will live. Not you, but your family, generations from now, will dwell here. And we see Abraham and his family ultimately finding themselves in, in, uh, in Egypt during the famine with Joseph and, and, and his brothers and Israel from those brothers grows into this mighty nation that then God brings into the wilderness for those 40 years and 40, 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. And then he has this time of transition that they meet at the Jordan River so that they can enter into the promised land. This Jordan River is this place of transition. It's awesome to me that this is exactly where John the Baptist begins his ministry. He's in the wilderness at the Jordan River because he's meeting people where they are in their life with all of their brokenness, with all of their problems, with all of their garbage, but he's meeting them at the Jordan because this baptism is a time of change. This repentance, this washing, this new life that you are to receive is going to change everything. You are no longer who you once were, living the life you once did. You are now a son and daughter of God and are given the life to live from that transition into a place of promise. And all Jerusalem was going out to him. Now, I really don't believe that when it says all Jerusalem, it means every single individual in the city of Jerusalem exited the city of Jerusalem and went there. But all people, all kinds of people did. Rich people, wealthy people, healthy people went Poor people, broken people, sick people, they went. People who were popular, people who were outcast. That's so incredibly important for you to wrap your head around today because that means people like you were there. People like you were right there in that time of transition from this lifestyle in the wilderness at the steps of the Jordan River ready to step into a new life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are in a season of transition, of struggles or pains, or maybe of unknown and worry and fear. And God is calling you into those waters today to say, I have a transition coming for you. I have a change that is coming for you. I can't wait for you to see what it will look like, but trust me, it is beyond your wildest imagination. I have a new life coming for you. How do we get there? Well, you need to know the way. Right, three times in, in Mark, he mentions this phrase, the way. Now, you can look at the idiom in the English language. It's kind of interesting. It kind of is a good way of letting you know uh, that you're on the right path, right? That away, you got it. 
Uh, if you've watched uh, the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, you know that when you're doing something according to what is right, this is the way. Well, for us, you know, the way isn't a set of rules. It's not a set of steps that you take. It's not necessarily even something that's meet, right, and salutary. Because the way is a person. The way is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we come to Jesus, and we come to this way, the way of life the way of repentance, the way of forgiveness, the way of transition and new life. So we are people in a wilderness, given the mission and the purpose to make straight the paths of others to come see Jesus so that that we can announce one greater than ourselves that we constantly point to Jesus. Mark's gospel begins like this, and I love that Mark, he's not my favorite gospel writer. I'll confess that to you, but I love this text today. He says this in the very beginning, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, every single time I hear the beginning, I can't help but go back to Genesis chapter 1, when God said, in the beginning, and He creates the world perfectly in the beginning. And Mark, remembering that great beginning that God established that we messed up and broke into a thousand pieces, Mark says, this is bad news, but I want to let you know there is a new beginning. There's a beginning that comes with my son, that's the son of God, the beginning that that John the Baptist is telling you boldly about this morning to make yourself ready to receive this by repentance, by receiving his new life and transitioning from life into the wilderness into a life of a child of God. This God is coming. And oh my goodness, I can't wait for you to meet him. And John, was, he was an awesome example of, of pointing to Jesus. And I, I've always kind of wondered, as you look at the different disciples, the 12 that Jesus picked out, why in the world did he not pick out John the Baptist? He was clearly better than everybody else that Jesus picked. Because John the Baptist's mission was just to point to Jesus. And that was his sole mission. In fact, John said, you are coming out here to me. You're flocking all kinds of people coming here to me from Jerusalem to the Jordan River to receive this gift. But the one who is coming, so much better than me. The message that he has to share is so much finer than mine. The life that he is going to transition you into blows mine out of the water. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Just culturally, when you walked into someone's room as a guest, into their home as a guest, it was their servant, their lowest servant, their rookie servant, whose job it was, was to take off your sandals and wash your feet the lowest of the lows. And so John does not want any accolade, no glory, no honor. He's like, I am not even worthy to untie this God's shoes. I can't wait for you to meet him. 
What a great model for pastors, for church leaders, for followers of Jesus of any kind. It's not about us. It's all about Him. We are living in a place of wilderness today. It is our mission, our job to make ready the path for others to come to know Jesus. And let us always point to Him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the gift of John the Baptist who made ready the church to receive You. Father, inspire us as we live our lives in the wilderness today to not live full of discouragement and despair, but to be filled with hope and knowing that there is a transition coming, a better life than we could ever imagine with the world put right, the kingdom of God made now. God, as we wait, help us make ready other people to receive this incredible message. Prepare us, God, through repentance, through through letting go and turning away from all of the horrible things that we do, but also, God, for using repentance to orient ourselves to You, to focus on You, to direct our steps towards You. And as we do, Lord, remind us that this is not something that we receive glory in for ourselves, but to point to You as the one better, the one best, Father, we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.